Hey, greetings and welcome to my Thursday edition of Macro to Micro Power Hour. I'm Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com and very excited to be joined by Jem Carson today. <laughs> Carson, yeah. Carson, I like the Carson, it's like croissant. Exactly. Um, we're going to get into lots and lots of um, due diligence here on market structure and what's happening with the markets right now. But first I want to do a little housekeeping and that is that I'm very excited to say that uh, this macro to micro power hour, which I hold uh, twice a week, Tuesdays, and also on Thursdays, right after the market close at four o'clock, is now available to download on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple and Audible. So just search for me, Samantha LaDuke, or your favorite guest. Um, again, uh, LaDuke Trading is also my YouTube channel, and when this is done, it will be housed here. LaDuke Trading uh, YouTube channel and underneath I have a macro to micro power hour playlist. Further down, you've got some trading insights if you're interested. I also feature a women in trading and finance series. Very, very supportive of attracting and uh, inspiring, supporting women in trading and analysis. So definitely check that out. Um, Gem and myself can be found on Twitter. Um, I have yet a, but a humble following, and you are just unbelievably popular, including your own Reddit, no, Discord channel that you didn't even know about, which is hysterical. A client brought that to my attention, um, and I went, that is so cool. So we'll, we'll, yeah, let me just unshare here for a second, and um, I'll do some intros. So... First of all, thank you so much for joining. I am very interested to also find out what's going on with your uh, business of late. You have um, rebranded, it sounds like, your, uh, your, your fund. So tell me a little bit about this fund, and then we'll kind of get into talk about the market. Yeah, we're launching um, two new products July 1st uh, for Q3. Um, one of them is uh, focused on uh, the second order Greek kind of dealer positioning flows that we've been talking a lot about for the last year that uh, have kind of given me a bit of notoriety. Um, we, you know, we have been traditionally a vol arb shop um, and have been, have used those flows in the background uh, of our vol arb strategies for drawing our distributions uh, when we're, when we're uh, looking at valuing, uh, you know, relative value on, on these vol arb trades. Those distributions have become a huge uh, amount of the attribution of the returns of the strategies. And we, uh, we decided several months ago to spin them out into their own strategy. So really a directional market uh, and, and vol trading strategy, uh, which is quite different than our kind of delta neutral vol arb uh, strategies, which are traditional. So as we make that, um, that transition, uh, you know, we really want to make sure that, that we, uh, we, we face the world with kind of this, uh, you know, we, we've become thought leaders in, in, in this flow uh, trading dynamic um, and really want to position the, the firm uh, you know, in that direction. So uh, the new name of the, the firm is uh, Kai Volatility Advisors. Um, uh, and uh, we'll, we're launching a new educational portal as well as a lot of uh, kind of exciting content to come um, you know, for all of the, the followers and people who are interested in, in learning more about kind of how we approach markets. So hope to all talk right. about some of that today. Uh, but that's kind of uh, why we're heading in that direction with the new brand uh, and whatnot as well. And who's your your key audience? Well, who do you want to really pay attention to? Because obviously you are on a public feed for 
Twitter and providing a lot of educational support, which is hugely helpful and hence why you have this, you know, uh, secret discord fan club channel. <laughs> but, um, you know, who, who is really a good candidate customer for your fund? So, um, you know, we love, uh, you know, first of all, the whole world is looking for diversification away from long uh, market exposure, right? The uh, obviously the 60-40 uh, world risk parity is dead um, for obvious reasons um, in a liquidity bubble like this, which we are very much in, um, you know, uh, everything's correlated to one um, on the downside. Um, so um, there are few people who truly understand how to diver diversify away with derivatives and other volatility products. Uh, we obviously, you know, I, is it, you know, over 13% of the volume in the S&P 500 when I had my market making firm, we understand these in, intimately have been in this business for 24 years. Um, so it's, it's a natural fit for us uh, to kind of step into that role. And we're trying to offer more and more products for everybody, honestly, to help teach them and educate them about uh, what is available to, to diversify away and to create um, not only a hedge to their broad long portfolios, but also uh, yield generating and uh, you know profitable strategies that, that take advantage of of uh, you know these flows and the supply and demand dy dynamics that that exist in these markets. So so to answer your question, uh, everyone, you know I think this is um, our minimums are two hundred fifty thousand. So we're looking for high net worth family offices as well as institutions primarily. But but you know the education is uh, out there to help teach everybody and and hopefully everybody gets there to a point where where they're all accredited and 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 we can um, you know work together to to help everybody. Awesome. I wanted to hear that because this helps. You have an audience here, some very sophisticated, obviously gurus doing their own thing um, and really like your market timing uh, calls and a lot of retail that's learning about it, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just no longer the tail, uh, the, the flea on the tail of the dog. This is really wagging the dog, this optionality and the market Absolutely. structure of this flow, which you um, really do well in creating a story. You, by the way, would be a really, I, I'm, I'm thinking writer. This has got to be a side hobby of yours or a future career because <laughs> you are creative and you have created a cast of characters yeah. um, and storylines and chapter after chapter. It's good stuff. Yeah, so I, I said this in, a, in one of the pods I did in the last uh, six months, but uh, you know, not everybody knows. So an undergrad, I actually studied uh, financial mathematics. That was my primary focus. Okay. Um, I did policy as well. So I was always into kind of macro policy. That's kind of why I wax kind of about policy a lot of times and its effects. But um, also a uh, triple major uh, was an English lit major. That was something okay. that I did on, on, in my my uh, my free time and ended up becoming a major. So, you know, English. I'm, lit a, daughter, is... I'm, I'm a daughter of an English teacher and professor. So, yes. You know, yeah. I'm, yes. I appreciate you noticing. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> that I, uh, I, I do enjoy that part of it and, and it makes it more fun. Obviously, if you're talking about this stuff every day, uh, you want to make it entertaining for not just your audience, but for yourself as well. So Absolutely. half of that's right. for my own benefit. All right. Keeps you interested. It does. All right, so now I'm interested and I'm sure audience as well, uh, some of your volatility trading strategies. I know you've talked about your legacy stuff. Um, for sure, the long vol, you know, historically, um, and you've done really well historically, but I'm more interested in your market timing calls of late. It seems like there's been a, a real transition into timing kind of the micro moves. Yeah, that's a big part of, so our strategies, um, as I was saying before, uh, take advantage of not just relative value on the uh, volatility surfaces and between different products, so we don't just have this relative value uh, model. We also look, at, you know, in static, we look at the distribution of, of market moves um, and, and our predictive and our, 
our selection process as well. And those models, uh, those distributions for both market move and volatility move, given market move, have evolved over time. And they, they more and more over the last uh, you know, five years have, have begun to include uh, more reflexive dealer positioning flows. And as part of that, uh, obviously the, the distributions have become more and more predictive and, and more uh, an attribution of the profits uh, that we realize. And, um, and so that part uh, we have gotten better at uh, and, uh, and you obviously are using it more and more, hence the launching of a new product to focus on that. So yes. Um, yeah, so happy to kind of discuss those uh, those flows. Those are those are very much micro. Our distributions are done on a weekly basis, so they are very tactical, short term, supply and demand driven. Um, you know, I think uh, we've talked about this before too in other places, but you know, looking at things dogmatically um, over kind of longer terms is. Is a, is a hard thing to do when you're looking at supply and demand, but you, you know you can be very predictive of, of short-term flows if if you understand the the genesis of them and where they're coming from. So define um, short-term because everyone has a yep. different definition. I mean, I've got a chase, a swing, a trend, time frame, but sure. that is very different in everyone's book. So yeah. what define a short time frame? Yeah, our framework is broadly monthly, but our distributions are weekly. Um, so, um, but we look at predictive uh, metrics that are. Uh, multi-annual, um, as well as, uh, you know, intraday. So we, we have lots of different um, uh, factors. We have 27 factors in our, our distribution model. Um, and again, they range from um, a lot of them, more than 50% are flows based, but there are, there are some in there that are uh, much more macro fundamental. There are some that are technical. Um, you know, more traditional stuff like momentum and mean reversion um, within the model as well. So, um, you know. Uh, and you do all this in kind of like a data visualization. So you're looking for particular um, signals or actual patterns. I mean, how are you actually yeah, each factor, each factor is is uh, is developed differently, has different uh, transformations, uh, and, and uh, you know we we've used uh, machine learning on the back end. Obviously, most of our um, our analysis is qualitative and comes from experience, but the implementation and the optimization is done um, very. Uh, quantitatively. And, uh, you know, we, uh, in terms of visualization, we do have uh, a visualization of each factor and, and a metric uh, for each factor, but then how they relate to the whole model is also, um, you know, ultimately this is all your secret sauce. You're not sharing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's only so much I can tell you, but, but, you know, <laughs> I, right, I think I told right. you a lot, right? Uh, that's there, that's you know, okay. Yeah. But uh, now let's get into, cause uh, um, I, Many understand, uh, some don't, but definitely co uh, convexity and risk premia. Convexity is to risk premia as reflexivity is to deal positioning. How do you position and anticipate um, those actors? Because they seem to be a uh, very heavily weighted uh, component of your market timing calls. Yeah, so... Um... You know, the idea of reflexivity uh, obviously is, you know, if people have, if there is a large part of the street that is positioned in a certain way and there is a, a profitable trade relative value, very risk reward, a positive uh, positioning based on how these, uh, these, you know, where the flows have been and, and, and push things to, um, ultimately in order to profit from, from that positioning, um, people have to take a profit. They have to unwind that position. Um, and unwinding that position doesn't mean unwinding it strike by strike or position by position. It means uh, unwinding the factor exposure uh, tied to that. And so, um, 
you know, that factor exposure, uh, you know, uh, broadly in the volatility space tends to be exposure to skew, uh, exposure to uh, term structure, uh, exposure to vol in general, as well as market direction and delta. So, um, you know, those those factors based on this positioning and uh, you can you can deduct uh, based on that, you know, flows coming in to take that exposure off as that exposure changes and that that reflexivity right that that need for you know it's just like if somebody is short on a more simplistic you know short stock if short interest is very high in a stock ultimately to to, to capture that profit they're going to have to buy back right the stock and that that reflexivity there as we've seen when in stocks like you know, gme and other meme stocks right has a real uh, predictive uh, value to it so similar much more detailed much more complicated you uh, go into a, a, a smaller time frame like yesterday with the spx it it hit a volatility trigger of 41.70 and went down to 41.30. It was, there was already kind of that negative gamma and, and then reflexively it bounced very strongly um, once it hit that level. Are you doing that? I mean, intraday, are you doing that type of um, scalping or chasing or do you pull back a little bit more in time and, and kind of work with a, a wider aura? Yeah, so we're, um, you know, we're trading a, a lot of different, so we're trading correlation, uh, uh, on, a, on a directional basis, uh, uh, dispersion on directional basis, as well as on a vol basis, right? Um, we also even do those trades on, on a, um, you know, on, on skew. So we do kind of the dispersion skew, et cetera. So things get uh, a little wonky and, and more detailed. Uh, that said, um, yeah, I mean, vol itself is one of those major components. Um, and so when, when we hit support levels, um, and, uh, you know, our models are reading more positive. Uh, you know, we do look at levels a lot. Like I put up my own levels as well, where, where the supply kind of is at its uh, highest level. Um, those are levels to kind of uh, jump in and, and, and increase positioning, um, whether it's in vol or directionally in the markets as well, given uh, these Vana, Charm, Volga, Voma uh, flows, um, which are, uh, you know, essentially, going to give you a sense of where the strong directional component is. There are also yeah, windows of time, which I think is important. So it's not just the positioning. It's not just the levels, right? I think a huge part of the analysis that we do really fun uh, functions on on timing as well. So there are windows of periods when when the flows are going to be greater, when they accelerate. Uh, these are nonlinear kind of factors. And, and there's um, based on positioning on expirations, there's also understanding of, of uh, you know, timing when things are going to increase or decrease. And risk premium, you had a really good market timing uh, call into the election. It was bid up and just that, that you know, reduction, if you will, in the risk premium gave that boost to the market direction. And you had seen that, I'm pretty sure, in advance. Is that correct? Okay. That was Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, talked about that months, that. we talked yeah. about that months leading up to it. But uh, yeah. yeah absolutely. So have you seen, what do you see now? Yeah. So uh, we're... Um, in a much uh, less, um, you know, implied volatility has come down dramatically, right? Uh, we're, mm -hmm. uh, we uh, were in a uh, part of the market where, uh, you know, despite there being oversupply of all, there's less uh, Vana thrust, right? Um, but yeah, there's more stability. So uh, I think, you know, that should be get more, uh, you know, 
a reduction in, in implied volatility going forward. So I, I uh, you know, it, it's going to be very, the most challenging thing for this market is fighting the oversupply of vol right now. So um, that paired with the fact that uh, broadly, there's a, a lot of bearish sentiment still, a lot of uh, skepticism about this rally. Um, th that should reflexively lead to um, kind of a, a continued uh, rally in this market. But in, unlike the election or something like that, it's not going to be driven by uh, as much uh, Avana effect as it will be uh, by more of a charm and steady kind of consistent passage of time and decay of risk premium. Um, my view is that that will, um, you know, obviously structurally on a more macro level, um, as rates continue to go higher and as a, uh, you know, you get this, for lack of a better term, tapering, um, you know, of, of the, uh, again, not necessarily just by the Fed, but broadly the long end of the curve, mm -hmm. naturally kind of uh, yields going higher, you, you, the, the liquidity um, will continue to diminish. And that has a breaking point for this market and, and, and structurally on a much bigger level, there are, are major, major issues for this market uh, that lie ahead. So, you so know- Talk about the Fed reaction function, because I think that's where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 I'd love to talk the, about the macro part. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, that's the most important part, right? It, it, but, but that part can take uh, not just months, but, but years to play out sometimes. And so I think people get too dogmatic about that on, uh, and, and try and play it on a short-term basis. I think the key is to have that view and to understand that it's coming, but to also play kind of week by week based on supply and demand dynamics prepared for when that, uh, that reflexivity kind of unwinds. So that's our broad approach uh, in terms of the macro perspective part. Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, this is a liquidity-driven uh, bubble. I did a podcast just, that just came out this week uh, with Corey Hofstein's Flirting with Models. Um, you know, I think that gives people a bit of a, you know, if they want to go listen, it'll give them a lot of insight into how we see kind of uh, this playing out. But ultimately, you know, as long-term rates go up, uh, the liquidity available in the market declines. A lot of the malinvestment leads to, you know, this is a tale as old as time, right? Uh, you know, that malinvestment has to, to come off the table. Um, you get creative destruction, et cetera. That liquidity removal will create multiple contraction uh, that will create more, um, you know, less uh, money available to corporations and high net worth individuals to buy stock, right? For companies to buy their own stock. Um, those things are ultimately bad for multiples. Um, however, the reaction function has changed, right? It used to be that the Fed would come in, uh, you know, in decrease interest rates and, uh, you know, don't, you know, don't fight the Fed ultimately. I think the, the difference here this time is uh, for the first time in 40 years, we are seeing a, a massive fiscal push. Uh, the zeitgeist has broadly changed. People are um, actually, you know, the, they're optimizing, the government's optimizing median uh, income as opposed to mean or, or maximizing GDP, um, optimizing for median uh, incomes and the demand that the and votes, uh, you know, the, from the vote from the electorate for for that type of policy, will push uh, uh, price inflation, not not uh, not asset inflation anymore. And we've had massive asset inflation for 40 years on the back of supply side economics. I think you know demand side economics is what's uh, what's happening now and, and should continue. Um, people are gonna you know you're already seeing positive reactions to um, all of the fiscal stimulus that we've had. Um, you know it's hard to imagine that in 2010 Republicans were um, you know fiscal conservative. Uh, there is no fiscal conservatives anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is left and right are both both populist, and uh, I expect that to continue for a decade. 
Uh, if that does, uh, long-term interest rates will go higher. The Fed uh, will not be able to control it. Uh, if they try and do uh, yield curve control, ultimately, which is, um, you know, they can push the curve down on the, just based on supply and demand, but ultimately that's that's massively inflationary because, um, you know, with reals, uh, you know, getting getting more and more positive, you're ultimately going to create more and more inflation. And the Fed knows that. They know it ultimately puts the Fed in a box. Um, and so, so they, they, they will lose control of the long end of the curve. That is a very well understood concern, which then helps me segue randomly and yet not so much. Bitcoin. What are your oh, man. thoughts on? I got to ask you're trying to get macro me is dead. <laughs> no, macro is dead and I'm not even a, a convert. I'm simply saying that migration because of everything that you just eloquently laid forth is driving so much of the crypto craze and some of it rightfully so others like i said this is you know a debasement uh, concern that you wouldn't want to wish on your worst enemy but the point is you have laid out the macro now talked a bit bitcoin and crypto yeah you're 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 gonna get me some hate mail i am uh, but we gotta <laughs> do it because it is a huge asset class uh, that's growing every day right right we have to address it Sure. Because it is now a matter. Happy to talk about it. Happy to talk about it. But I want to preface this by saying um, I am do not manage Bitcoin in my funds. It is not uh, you know systemic to what I do, Um, and so I have my opinions just like everybody else. Um, I'm happy to to talk about them, but uh, please don't send me your hate mail. Okay. Okay, Now that you've done that disclaimer. So so so. And by the way, I treat it like a commodity and trade it as such. Yeah, and absolutely, you can trade it as such, and, and just you know, again, we trade supply and demand flows. Um, and, and there's, you know, obviously those are very prevalent in Bitcoin as well, but it's not something we trade. My view is that, uh, in a liquidity bubble, uh, you know, that like we're in, uh, assets, story stocks, um, do very well. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, this is not a a fundamentally driven market. Uh, you know, it's a function of supply and demand. And right now there's a supply and demand imbalance in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, uh, the amount of people trying to get exposure to it and the, the, the growth of that sector um, relative to the supply is unbalanced. And that's why it's going, uh, you know, exponentially higher and has continued to. That said, like I said, with my macro view, you know, I think we're at the tail of a, of a very, what's been a very long um kind of run for uh, liquidity based kind of, you know, meme, uh, you know, assets. And I view uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as a liquidity driven bubble. Um, I, my reason for, you on that, not, not block, not blockchain. I want to be yes, yes, yes. very clear. Like, I think uh, you know, we will move to a digital dollar. I, I do think, uh, you know, over time, I do think blockchain technology will be pervasive and, and uh, you know, is, is a secular story. Um, but I do believe cryptocurrencies uh, and, and the, the sheer mass of uh, the number of them, um, I, the, the overwhelming majority will be uh, will be eventually worthless, and they they are not uh, the beneficiaries of of blockchain necessarily in terms of asset values. Um, my view of that is is and I could be wrong, uh, but my view of that is based on uh, every currency since the beginning of time. If we're talking about it as a currency, has had some has had some um, uh, somebody some source of power to support it um, and ultimately benefit from it. And uh, the powerful of the world, uh, you know, uh, have, have always used currency as a form of, of benefiting um, their, their, you know, and that's the argument for Bitcoin, 
right? But ultimately, you know, it's funny, I, I said this on Twitter before, everybody uh, always makes the argument, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Treasury. Why is that? Because they're bigger than the market, right? They're, they're the biggest, don't fight the bully, right? Don't go challenge them. But, but the thesis behind Bitcoin is essentially, the, or DeFi is essentially uh, the exact opposite. It's fight, fight the Fed, fight the Treasury, fight, you know, the powers that be. And, uh, you know, that's all fine and well, and, and you know, it's all great to go scream, viva la revolucion. But, uh, you know, practically speaking, um, if you're going to sit there and challenge the Fed and use that as your primary um, kind of investment thesis, yeah, um, you're generally going to lose. Um, so I don't, it's not in the best interest of the U.S. government or the developed world to allow a currency that they cannot control. Um, so they will exert control over it. There are already lots of lots of conversations uh, mm -hmm. happening in the current administration about bringing it in and auditing it and making sure that it's better controlled. And the more they do that, the less uh, DeFi or less, uh, I guess, uh, DeFi is probably the wrong term, the less, um, you know, uh, freedom as a currency it has and the less appeal it has. So, um, again, my, my view is based on that. I think it's uh there's a lot of uh, a lot of dream, a lot of uh, you know this this fits a lot a, a, what a lot of people want to feel it will will you know it will give them uh, freedom, but ultimately it is not in the best interest of, of the developed world and the powers that be to allow it to be uh, as free as it currently is. How about just as a com commodity to use as a hedge for inflation, as a, as a means for entering and moving fast and furiously into this. It's a story. It's, it's a, a story. story. Lots of storied stocks, though, are in meteoric Agreed. rise. Agreed. Um, this is still an interesting. This is not a short-term call. This is Correct. not a short-term call. My question I mean, is, this is: Do you look at this rotation into this particular asset class um, in your model? Because it's garnering no. an enormous amount of attention and funds, obviously. So, do you look at it as part of your model? Uh, currently, no, it's not part of our model. Um, we do uh, have a, uh, I'll take that back. It is, it is a pool, it is in a, a pool of assets that represent liquidity assets and we look at it as such. So to the extent there is liquidation, liquidity assets and lack of uh, demand there that speaks to broader flows. Um, but it is uh, on its own, not a single indicator for our models. And it's very hard for you to measure risk premia in Bitcoin, where you can do so well in measuring it in equities and, right. the, and, the, and, the, and the indices. So you're, right now, you had just mentioned, obviously, um, climbing the wall of worry, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. higher. What would be a trigger for lower that you would take seriously? In other words, what... Fun flow reversal would actually have you sit up and take notice and say, yeah, we're not going higher. There, there's an avalanche or, you know, whatever. Just Yeah, yeah I want to be clear. And I talk about this on Twitter a lot, but, uh, you know, for your audience, um, you know, we very much look at things in, in distributional form. Um, these are not like, hey, we're calling for higher, not lower, right? Uh, the distribution is right justified, right? Like the, the, there's a high expected and, and, and narrower than it has been, but the tail is fat. Um, and, uh, you know, fragility in this system is, is very uh, high. Liquidity on the tails is almost non-existent. 
Um, there's too much leverage built up in the system. And uh, whereas you have oversupply of uh, support and resistance given oversupply of vol, uh, you know, in, locally, uh, the second you move away from that, um, that the amount, the amount of leverage uh, does not support um, you know, there's not enough support for stocks. Uh, and given kind of valuation metrics and, and that lack of liquidity, there will be a break as rates go higher, um, you know, as commodities go higher. And, and, and you know, so the, the question is, you know, within a range, you want to be, um, you want to be uh, continue, especially during windows of, of positive flows, you want to be riding the wave higher, but you always want to have, um, you know, like, like, like to say uh, cheap convexity, uh, in the portfolio funded with local volatility. So local volatility is, in my view, uh, overvalued, right? Uh, uh, as long as the tail is, uh, you have extra convexity available to you in the tail. So it's really about positioning, making sure you own the right part of the distribution for when the break happens and that you ultimately uh, own the tails, um, but locally um, are, are short implied volatility and, and, and Vega. So I don't know if that, that makes sense to your, you know, your, your average listener, and I'm happy to kind of expound on that a little bit. I know it's complicated for some, but, but it really is a function of, um, you know, we're, we're not saying uh, up, down, we're saying up high probability with lower volatility uh, on the rallies, uh, particularly locally. Um, but if it breaks uh, technically and the demand flows are, uh, you know, there's not enough demand flows that once it does break, you should expect a big move. And, and you need to structure your portfolio to, to benefit from. Do you think the that. recent dispersion trade, if you will, of the, the indices grinding higher, sideways to higher, um, and the high growth, but you know, no or low earnings, no dividend in some cases, you know, no revenue type of stocks that have had such a fall from grace in the past little bit? I'm thinking ARK and you know, related funds in their top mm -hmm. 10 and um, biotech and I could go on, you know, the sure. EV plays, the just from pot stocks to anything that was SPAC related. All right. So we have a tremendous uh, momentum is down and value is up and it's a wide dispersion. It, do you see at any point this rotation um, pulling down the indices because it's really, it's, it, it's very evident that the dispersion trade or if the divergence alone, one is going to catch up, one's going to catch down, but something, each leg of the table keeps kind of weakening and falling short. Yeah. I mean, look, we've, we've called for this, we called for this rotation in last July. Um, uh, it's all of a sudden valuations matter. Yeah. Nobody, you know, we were way ahead of this, obviously as part of the election call as well. And the move to fiscal, we uh, we still strongly believe that this is a secular trend. This is uh, it's been almost a year since it. Well, I guess about nine months since it started. We feel like this is a decade-long trend. Um, this decade-long trend is um, is that doesn't go in a straight line. To be clear, so I think a lot of your your, um, but it's gone so far. I mean, this is a forty-year cycle, um, and we're you know it's tied to interest rates. Um, and uh, our well, it's also tied to, to things over paper. That was my theme last summer for clients because I was very excited about this as well. It's it's time, multi-decade lows in in commodities and, and real cash flow and assets that can be liquidated. Um, it just was a time for this kind of uh, get up off the bottom and 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 real economy type of transition. But, so it's interesting. I'm just wondering if you, I didn't realize that you had that same type of transition uh, that call, if you will, but I do. Yeah, so my, 
yeah, yeah. No, that, that, spot on. I, I think from the, paper the, to things. I, I, yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. So the the key Sorry, is that a lot of people have been calling for that for twenty years, right? And I think the important part here is is our approach of. Uh, it, our flows-based approach. So, it, you know, things can be fundamentally fundamentally out of whack for a long time, and uh, and it doesn't change until the flows change. And the point here is what ha what changed starting in July August was the understanding that the flows were about to change on a macro level, and I think that's the part that a lot of people are missing: the flows, the pipes coming out of, uh, you know, the the from the very top um, have changed. It was for 40 years supply side all going to the rich, the wealthy, the corporations, interest rates, interest rates, supply side um, economics, right? Uh, you know, and, and what's happened is the, the demand, uh, the, the kind of people, and, and was accelerated by COVID, right? Was this, uh, was this understanding of inequality and enough is enough type uh, zeitgeist, right? Whether you agree with it or not, um, you know, uh, that's, that's where we are. And, uh, you know, people are, politicians are, um, and the government is is broadly trying to uh, soothe that effect. Uh, there, it started with Trump, uh, who you know uh, was was didn't start with him, but he was a, more of a symptom of it, right? Uh, coming in and being a, a populist president from the right, um, and so he's essentially espousing left ideals uh, on an economic front, or other socially or whatever we can put those aside. But from an economic perspective, uh, you know the right move to the left, and that's based just based on a. Uh, demand and a change in the zeitgeist and a, a, and a desire to fix inequality, um, and and so now that it, uh, you know we've now spent six trillion and there's another two trillion on the way, uh, likely with infrastructure or thereabouts. Um, you know people uh, are doing well. Uh, balance sheets are improved. Um, the economy is is showing that uh, that demand. Uh, impulse, which it hasn't seen in a while, you are going to see significant economic growth. And the consequences of that is price, is price inflation. We have not had strong economic growth for some time. Uh, people tend to think about economic growth being correlated with uh, market valuations. Uh, they are to a point. Um, but for the most part, given this liquidity bubble, what's more important than economic growth is the availability of capital and the liquidity for markets. And what's happening here is as growth, economic growth comes to the front, uh, you are removing that liquidity with higher interest rates. So uh, that has finally triggered this beginning of this rotation. And my view is once that breaks, it's not a one year, nine month issue. It is a decade long um, you know, correction of the imbalances that, that we've been seeing for a long time. After so, multi-decade lows. Correct. You know, there's a 40 year cycle, you know, that it started with, uh, you know, uh, Reagan in the early eighties, uh, the supply side economic, which was on the back of the, the seventies and the, the decade long 68 to, to 78, um, really, uh, you know, uh, rebalancing and, and during that period, most people don't know, was had very strong economic growth in real terms, uh, but obviously awful uh, real uh, performance in equity markets because of inflation. And so um, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, it was gradual and then uh, you know got much worse toward the, towards the end, but that led the way for the 40 year supply side economic push and, and, and rally in markets. So I think we're in a similar situation now. It's never exactly the same, but I, I do see that as being kind of where we are on a structural macro level. And, All right. Yeah. Sorry. No, no I was just say I, I was only, you know, this was really pushed on Tuesday. I had um, an interview with Jonathan Gibbons, uh, founder of VigTech, and he's my mm -hmm. partner in crime on Tuesdays when we do this, talking about this inflationary impulse, obviously so much liquidity with so few goods to chase 
basically, and there has to be a retooling, literally, yep. um, U.S. shores as well as skills and on and on and wage in, in growth and economic growth being fueled by fiscal. But ultimately, this value rotation, which I have been, um, you know, on very excited about mm -hmm. is something that almost seems hyperinflationary right now. He brought up the words and I was like, no, no, that's a future worry. But when I look at the uh, meteoric rise, of course, of things that had been typically um, not what you'd call uh, they, hot, hot fire flames, lumber and corn and wheat and the things that we act, physical things on top of just about all the commodities um, separate from the Bitcoin and the crypto, it is almost reminiscent of when we did get into this spike higher in the early 70s. So any concerns or any thoughts on this um, kind of temperance in inflation, um, hyperinflation, thoughts on that? No, I mean, a couple, couple of reasons. It, this, this won't happen overnight. Um, we're not Zimbabwe, we're not Weimar, Germany. Um, there are um, ultimately there are deflationary effects mm -hmm. uh, of Indeed. a uh, well, and there will continue to be as as particularly as you remove um, some of the liquidity bubble away. So so you know the, the free market system uh, has has internal rebalancing that goes you know uh, that goes on. Uh, particularly higher interest rates will, like I said, will lead to um, kind of liquid mal liquidation amount some malinvestment along the way. There will be continued deflationary forces that feed back from the capital market. So, so you know that will th that will be a push pull, right? So the higher rates go, the more problems kind of growth sectors and uh, you know equities that are dependent on leverage will see. Um, you know, so that that force will be a constant kind of push pull that will not, you know, we'll see to it that that rates don't go to infinity at the, you know, um, very quickly. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the Fed, Federal Reserve, remember, is, is, is not just, we've forgotten this over time, but is not just in, um, in charge of making sure that, uh, that, that employment is maximized, right? They also have the, uh, the opposite side of, of that reflexive kind of reaction function, which is to control rates. And so they will not let rates get um, out of control. And ultimately, they, they are the ones to, uh, to watch. So the economy may take a, a hit if they have to uh, let interest rates go a little bit higher. Uh, and ultimately, that will be a bit deflationary and, and will counteract the rise in rates. So this doesn't generally happen overnight. Uh, and, and especially in a developed world, uh, you know, big economy like the US, we have the reserve currency at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, if you, you know, in order to get hyperinflation, you ultimately need some liquidation of, of currency. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't expect that to be the case here in the US. So, so that's my view. I think it's, uh, you know, yes, can commodities continue to fire higher for a while? Yes. But ultimately, if it gets too hot, too quick, the, you know, uh, rates will go higher, will cause uh, market issues, which will have a feedback deflationary loop. And so this is going to be a kind of push pull. You know, if you look at the market in the 19, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, you had a lot, a lot of periods where the market declined, rates kind of pulled back, right, um, you know, a little bit, uh, market stabilized, and, you know, then you kind of repeated this process over the course of a decade. That's 
what you should expect. Markets in the and, and over the course of the decade in real terms will do very poorly, um, uh, but but uh, you know rates will continue to go higher and and eventually you know um, all of the debt will be monetized essentially. That's that's the process we're we're going through this decade. It'll be a monetization of debt and we'll grow out of a, a lot of the the earnings problems over the course of a decade as well, um, and eventually lay the grounds for for another another boom on the. You know, a decade from now, more or shorter. So, so that's that's the broad view. Again, I don't I don't see hyperinflation happening anytime in the near future. But these are structural kind of trends that that have been kicked off. And once they start going in one direction, uh, you don't want to be uh, you you better hop on on the turns. Otherwise, there's first of all, there's a lot of money to be made, but the impact and the potential losses on potentially being on the other side of this is is uh, you know is very powerful. So. Then let's talk about that money. Uh, leverage, it is obviously, uh, in some cases, obscene, uh, uh, assumed obscene, very hard to uh, actually measure. Or do you? How how much is too much leverage in this lovely market of ours that is? Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, because that is obviously, you know, canary in the coal mine. It didn't seem yeah. to upset the market um, when Archegos went under and uh, Hurt, yeah. hurt many of its constituents, but how much is too much? How do you measure it? When do you know it's going to hit? Like the well, avalanche, which really doesn't need so much of a temperature change. It's it's not it's it's very slowly than all at once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, look, it, it's ultimately uh, all tied into kind of uh, volatility and positioning in the market. Um, the oversupply of liquidity. Um, by rates leads to higher leverage, but it also leads to more uh, liquidity, right? So what ultimately happens once you hit an inflection point is that uh, the leverage still is too high, but the liquidity is being removed, right? If that makes sense. So if you have liquidity in the markets and you have higher levels, levels of leverage, that liquidity uh, will balance the leverage. Uh, when that leverage stays at where it is and the liquidity starts to diminish, then you have a recipe for disaster. And I think that's the important kind of salient point. So how much is too much uh, when the liquidity, particularly on the tails starts to, uh, you know, when the market starts to move reflexively, the leverage is too high um, and, and there's just not gonna be enough liquidity. So uh, hard to say when that is, it's not based on a certain interest rate level. It's based on, um, you know, kind of where, uh, you know, where leverage is as a ratio probably to the amount of liquidity and, and that's heading in a bad direction. Um, that said, uh, you know, it, it will have to, you know, it's one of those things where when you break, uh, you know, 10%, it's not going to be, or, you know, eight, seven, eight, 10%, it's not going to be a 10% move. It's probably going to be a, a 20, 25% move. And at which point, uh, you know, uh, you have major bigger problems. So yeah. the machines um, are, are much faster. Yeah. So uh, talk to us about risk parity. It's dead. <laughs> I don't have much more to say. Uh, you know, it's dead. Long live yeah. risk parity. You know, it's going to come back and bite you. <laughs> yeah. So I think there is there is something interesting here to say about this. Actually, is um, you know everything in a liquidity bubble is correlated to one, as I mentioned. Um, people are realizing this. This has entered the, the broad understanding, especially after two financial crises in the last twenty some years, uh, major ones. Uh, you know, we, you know, I think people broadly understand the need to hedge. Um, so you're seeing a massive influx, and people understand that you can only do that in certain markets. So, uh, so you're seeing a, a world where people are piling into volatility products, and and there's uh, there's enough supply where people are but they're all hedging in the same places. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think this reflexively will have continue to have a 
effects. A, like I said, it'll continue to let this rally go on further than we could ever possibly imagine, right? That's kind of what always forces these things. But B, um, you know, when it when it when the fall does happen, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be uh, hard reflexively to to you know, it's likely to be, in my opinion, more stair steps than it is a March type event. I mean, historically, if you look at um, everybody's always playing the last crisis, right? That's just psychology. Um, if you look at recent history, August of 2015, we had a huge uh, volatility event. Uh, oh, the wand devaluation. The wand devaluation, but relative to the size of the move in the market, it was a more of a vol event, right? And, and implied volatilities and hedges worked incredibly well during that period, given the size of the move. Yeah. Everybody then piled into volatility products, um, saying, well, I need to be hedged and, um, you know, uh, especially with yields blowing out in early 2016, you know, with oil kind of dropping below 20, yep. um, you had uh, a bigger move in the market, but it was awful to be uh, long implied volatility or hedges because the world was hedged. And ultimately uh, you had some of the, the most liquidation of long vol on a decline you've ever seen on a, as a metric. Like there was a correlation break between vol and markets in that period. Um, you know, we see that again, and, and when we get to, you know, so at that point, everybody's like, why do I own vol for a hedge, right? And you got more and more selling and you get through 16 and 17, which is some of the most uh, lowest implied vols in history and never paid to be long vol. Everybody was short vol again because they had lost sight of August 2015 and you get, you know, Jan, Feb 2018 XIV blow up. And so big vol event, everybody's like, oh, I got to be hedged, I got to be long well, vol. Wasn't there a really big whale also kind of holding up the market in 17? I yes, mean, so there's a whole, yeah, the catalyst funds, uh, yeah. not just the not just the catalyst funds, but, you know, th there were all kinds of uh, other, um, you know, there, there's harvest there capital, harvest capital selling uh, iron condors. Um, but but yeah, that's a whole other thing which I can get yes, into. Yes, yes, yes. But that was a, was a pinning of effect. But yes, go right. on. But so so early eighteen, you have a big vol event again, which is again just you know talking almost two years after the the you know the last kind of vol event, um, which was enough time for people to forget. Had the big thing. Everybody's like, oh, we got a hedge. Got to be long vol again. And then you had an even bigger decline again in late two thousand November two thousand eighteen. The the taper tantrum, right? Which ultimately people own vol market declined much bigger than in earlier that year. But it was stair steps, and vol didn't really play, right? And again, this is reflexivity. People were hedged, etc. Fast forward, right? A year, uh, a year and a half, right? And just enough time for people to forget and people to be like, okay, I don't need to be long vol. You get March of this year. Right, which is a very big vol, very fast, very painful for anybody short vol. Now the world is in that, hey, better be long vol all the time. You got to hedge the vol, be long vol. And, uh, you know, the next decline, which is coming soon, in my opinion, and, you know, by the by September, October, um, will be, in my opinion, stair steps and will be uh, marked by vol, continued vol over supply into the drop. That doesn't mean the rally, right. that yes. doesn't mean the drop. Stair steps meaning that the market will decline on uh, consistently directionally with a relatively low uh, implied volatility and speed. So, um, you know, the, the hedges will be very hard to capitalize based on um, relative to beta. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that's what's likely to happen here in the next move. Uh, you know, uh, so hedges will be will be a hard press to pay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you're a long uh, stock 
and long out of the money puts, for example, in a August 15, uh, Feb 18, March uh, 2020 type scenario, you will crush it on the convexity that you own, right? right. Um, because implied volatilities will rise, skew will rise, et cetera. Um, but in a, uh, you know, Feb 16, uh, March, uh, sorry, so November, December, or whatever, uh, 2018, uh, and again, I believe in the next coming drop, you, uh, you know, that won't be the case. You'll, you'll likely watch your, your out of the money puts decay away. Uh, if they don't, if you go through them, you'll do great, right? If they're just directional on, on the deltas alone, you'll do great. But okay. if you're trying Very to take like advantage- Very much August into September of last year where volatility rose with the NASDAQ and when NASDAQ actually dropped 14%, volatility hedges did not pay. Correct. So, so the key is the, the key is not to not hedge with volatility products, but to, to make sure that you're employing people who understand those dynamics and make okay. sure they're taking advantage of, of the underperformance of, of Vega um, as opposed to actually deltas um, in the market. So, why do you think it's going to take until September for there to be? I don't know that it'll take till September. Okay. To be clear, I'm just saying that the next move, you know, to my first point, I think people are expecting a move. So broadly, it takes um, it takes time and. Uh, you know, people, it, this market is likely to, to grind higher, like I was saying at the, the top of the, sh the show, um, in the short term, just because there are too many people that are bearish and, and there's too much oversupply of vol. And so, you okay, know, because people are bearish is a sentiment call, but oversupply of vol is it's a more than sentiment. Flow. Okay. It's so more than sentiment, because if people are that way, they are positioned, uh, you know, uh, hedged uh, for it. And, and reflexively, that, that leads to higher prices. But my point is, it's coming. It's soon. It's this year. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, there will be another correction. You know, a, a reasonable one coming. Um, and and but uh, you know, I, I expect it to come from higher prices, um, and uh, and uh, not be imminent. Uh, that said, you know, there is fragility in the system, and so you know, when you do break technically, like you need to be hedged, um, and you need to be prepared for it. Um, so it's a tricky, it's, you know, it's, you can't sit here and say market's going down, you know, X date. Uh, you got to read the market on a short term, on a, on a weekly and monthly basis um, and be hedged, uh, you know, tactically as we do during moments of weakness when flows are uh, open to it. Uh, understanding that you're also, uh, you know, the distributions are fat tail and you need to own that, you know, that convexity. And then you need to prepare for when it does begin also that people are broadly hedged and that there's a likelihood for uh, for it to be uh, hard to monetize those out of the money. So you need to start to, you know, as it begins to happen to manage a portfolio accordingly. So it's complicated. These things are not easy. If, if anybody could do it, uh, you know, there'd be a, you know, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be so profitable. So, but you need to kind of look at this and, you know, always in, uh, three dimensions, look at the time component, look at supply and demand and understand uh, it as a distribution of potential outcomes. So um, this is uh, this is the world I live in. Well, it's exciting. It's it's also intellectually rigorous because um, you're approaching it, obviously, from the, the macro and dispersion, uh, what I call intermarket anyway, analysis. I know you do a lot of tech and quant and sentiment by studying the flows, yep. but I am curious the timing of um, your drop in September and the, the secular call for rotation is um, stronger than most. Stronger, uh, I personally, you know, I like to think of it as cyclical now. It'll prove itself later, but it's definitely mm -hmm. outperforming 
uh, meaning value or anti-momentum over momentum or growth plays by a nautical mile. So that has been an exciting kind of rotation. Um, and we'll see, obviously, what happens with these grinding markets. But I actually think we're going to have some volatility very, very soon. So just did my little PSA on Twitter going, yeah. all right, you haven't heard from me in a while. Okay, I've been waiting for a few weeks. I've been talking about it. It's coming. It's coming. I think it's going to happen now. But this is the, um, the reflexivity of it, I think, is going to uh, not be so intraday. But give it a few weeks. Give it a few weeks. Give it a few weeks. And then, yes, I think we'll, we'll. Yeah, I think I think until uh, about May 9th, 17th to 19th, it's going to be hard. Um, you know, we'll see tomorrow with non-farm non-farm payrolls again. Watch rates. Uh, if you do get a technical break, which uh, you know, um, you know, a, a one standard deviation of the 20-day is kind of uh, is is what we're watching now. If you get a break of those levels, like uh, which are not far away, given how narrow oh, distribution is yep. so um you know i think i think you have a very tight stop there um until then i think you know the trend is higher don't don't fight and there there are natural flows you know these bond and charm flows um will generally take the market higher if it cannot break so so you know don't fight the the trend you know buy the dips be on the the if they cannot break yeah, no, and to some people that sounds duplicitous, right? Like I want to be clear, like no, uh, it's, it, it, it's not. The, you have to you have to look at this market where you are you are long and buying the dips and, and riding the flow higher, but own uh, you know an out of the money hedge uh, to take advantage of that. Reflexive, my my you know, point that that, break it, when it that particular call is absolutely the the sixty eight percent of the time, right? It's yeah. it's the the edges where it might be a little bit more eventful in those events that it breaks. Yeah. Anything that you look for, because obviously they're looking at asking about kind of market structures for when you anticipate the breaks, or do you wait technically for the break and then to see how the market reacts? Yeah, there's a lot of different flows. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, we had 27 factors in the model. So, you know, I don't I don't want to sit here and say there's one thing or another. But, you know, if I want to give you a couple of clues out there, you know, watch uh, watch the, the weakness in, in that in the NASDAQ and tech, um, you know, particularly, uh, you know, that's where it's going to start. It's where, you know, that's the thing that's giving kind of the, the little blinking yellow, um, you know, over your, over your shoulder. There's reason for concern there. Uh, watch the window of, of when these uh, these natural flows are out there. I, I talk about them all the time. Right now is actually a very supportive time for for these Vana and Charm flows. And it will be until, you know, the, the 19th or so of, of this month. Um, Big stop the expiration. Yeah. So you have Sometimes, to kind of, yeah. exactly. You, so you got to kind of, you know, be careful in this window and not be too bearish, right? Um, but be aware that, you know, if you start to see liquidation and, and you know, it's going to start not in the S&P, it's gonna start um, in the NASDAQ in particular and names that are uh, interest rate sensitive, um, you know, watch rates, uh, you know, if, if yields spike, like that's a problem. That's where it's gonna start. It's, it's not, you, you know, it, it's not, everybody knows that, but, you know, have some hedges there. Right. That's a, that's another option is not only in the, the names like the arc names that we've said to be hedged in, um, you know, hold your hold your hedges in rates land. Um, and so those are things that, uh, you know, some some clues to kind of watch. But but, uh, you know, other than that, uh, really you know, keep an eye on very short term wise watch put call ratios and retail sentiment. Uh, right now, people are pretty bearish and it's it's we can continue to work higher as long as they are. People get overextended into a rally. Um, if we start to overstretch kind of the two standard deviation and sentiment's really bullish and the NASDAQ starts to be weak and you start to break, like those are the types of scenarios that can unwind very quickly. So those are the types of things to watch, short-term, mid-term, long-term. Um, you know, I think there's a lot out there to kind of, kind of watch, but those are, those are things I look at.
Well, I thank you for explaining the kind of pricing, mispricing, um, and the flows that are part of your model, but also part of your sharing on Twitter that you do very generously. Also, your time doing these podcasts, it's very different flavor. I mean, obviously, this is very relaxed, right? This is like market close. Oh, it's <laughs> nice to meet you, Jam. I'm so excited we're going to talk about this stuff because you do more than just the quant analysis of what, you know, trading um, range is going to be profitable from a short duration. You're also looking at major inflection, you know, rotation trends. And I think with the macro backdrop, um, that's my macro to micro whole theme, right? It's like yeah. it, it, it makes the weather um, at the same time, we're trading on a very different time frame and attention span. So a lot of folks here are asking very technical questions. We're not going to get into that right now. I wanted to get your time and it's almost five um, to kind of get this broad range approach of your new fund and your very fascinating um, uh, you know, view. And then the way that you express that, uh, again, storybook telling. Um, I thank you for that. It makes it interesting. And at the same time, we have to really think about what, what, okay, Gary does what again? And Vanna, by the way, he's got a cheat sheet on this discord channel that a client sent me that you have. So I love it. I'm like, he's got a fan club. He doesn't even know about. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Um, I hope you don't feel stalked. A lot of people. No, are it's great. It's great. You know, it's, you. life, uh, life is short. I actually genuinely enjoy kind of you know, being able to help and make a difference uh, on all these different people's lives and, 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 and you know, really educating. It's, it's something I've always enjoyed. And, and so that's a big driver for why we do work. Like I said, we're, we're going to be in the next several months releasing a, a new portal uh, free uh, for for followers and people who, who want to learn more, uh, both taking kind of previous content and, and chopping it up and really kind of shaping it so people can more easily learn and access kind of um, information that we share. Um, you know, we'll probably uh, start having a much more kind of structured kind of uh, newsletter and, and whatnot, again, available to everyone, um, but also kind of to help, uh, you know, bring people in to understand kind of our, our worldview and, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, get more and more people to kind of work with together, um, both on the investment side as, as well as the uh, advisory side. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. When, um, where do they go to, to kind of track you besides Twitter? You know, uh, that, that again, this, this portal will be uh, uh, up and running in the next couple of months. Uh, it, it's something that we have a team now kind of uh, working on, on, on all this, uh, you know, and, and, and so I think that's a place to look. Uh, we're most active on Twitter right now, but. Uh, well, yeah. it's all good stuff. And I'm really grateful again for the thoughts, insights, um, timing calls. And just the camaraderie on, on Fintwit. It's been fabulous. I mean, absolutely. Love your stuff. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And um, again, this will be podcast on Apple, Spotify, Audible. It'll also be on my Leduc Trading YouTube channel. So you can dissect this a little bit uh, more. Follow um, Gem on Twitter, myself as well. Check out uh, leducetrading.com. 